0: and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I would certainly vote for Isaiah's party. What a manifesto he lays out before us. What a program, what a vision of a better world the prophet Isaiah brings to us. For I'm about to create a new heaven And a new earth, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Wouldn't it be great if things were different, if things were better, if things were as they should be in this ill-divided world? And the plenty that is out there was shared, fairly distributed, and opportunities were there for everyone. The crushing burdens of poverty, the crippling effects of poor sanitation and filthy water were removed. If people get a shot at living life rather than struggling to survive, which of us wouldn't want that? Which of us doesn't nurture that dream? So do we have to wait for God to do it for us? For God to create a new heaven and a new earth? Or could we make our dream of a new creation a reality? John F. Kennedy had that vision. He insisted that we have the means to make it a reality. In his inaugural address in January 1961, he said, For man holds in his mortal hands The power to abolish all forms of poverty. Man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty. And really we know we have. If we want, if it is our will, it could be so. If it were our will, it would be so. Redirect resources. Rechannel the money and the talent and the effort that we put into destruction and preventing other people bringing destruction, use all that differently, all that energy, all that ingenuity, and, and we could do it. It could be done if we want, if it is our will. And the misery and the waste and the hatred and the divisions would be forgotten. A thing of the past, the poisoned land, the polluted rivers, the gross injustices, the shocking imbalances just become a distant memory because we refused to wait for God to do it and resolved with a steely resolve to do it ourselves because we could if we wanted, if it were our will. Isaiah says, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. The ancient city of Jerusalem is such a, a potent symbol of the broken dreams and the divided communities and the suspicions and ancient prejudices that stalk the world and to despoil it. Robbers of the freedom to sing and take simple delight in what life can be where music and culture and conversation and relaxation where education and community are the realities that we enjoy. As we might rightly think we were meant to. Instead of exhausting our resources, fighting each other. Instead of building walls to divide us off from one another. Hands reach out in compassion and brotherhood. In Jerusalem... It's such an ugly monument to the fractures and the hatreds that symbolize the divisions and the separations. Jerusalem, that rebuke, could serve instead says Isaiah as a sign of healing and mutual respect a reminder of all our good possibilities and the terror that walks the streets of that holy city becomes a forgotten nightmare. Having no place within the harmony and the songs that fill the air. And why should we wait for God to make it so? We can do it. It's not beyond us. We don't need to cling to the hope of some latter-day apocalyptic demonstration of God's authority. But ourselves... We great human beings work and pray and learn and bring peace into being. The Lord says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or cries of distress. How good would that be? The history of that city of tears doesn't need repeating. But we know it is a perfect symbol of all the other Jerusalems." The ancient enmities, the long-remembered bitterness between Pole and Russian, Irish and English, Vietnamese and American, Armenian and Turk, Serb and Croat. All the torn fragments of history that rebuke us for our quarrelsome past and mock our idealism and, and crush our best and boldest dreams. How good would it be For the cities of tears, all those many cities of tears, Hiroshima, Dresden, Mostar, Sarajevo, Saigon, to be instead places of delight and celebration, not running sores of misery and hostility. And why should we have to wait for God to magic away the past and abracadabra a new tomorrow for us? We can encourage the sharing of resources. We can commit wholeheartedly to the ways of peacemaking. We can lobby and agitate for the cause of justice and peace. And we can pray from full hearts and informed minds. Isaiah's manifesto continues. No more shall there be in Jerusalem an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred will be considered a youth. And one who falls short of a hundred will be considered a curse. It is our world's great shame. A crime against compassion and an outrage that for some people, being alive is just not worth it. Being alive is just not worth it. Children who never know love or satisfaction or education. For whom the whole of life is about struggle. The whole of life is about fear. Being exploited, abused, trafficked, hunted, hungry. Statistics that have haunted and embarrassed my generation. So that still, in spite of 50 years of aid, involvement and good intention... Still, children are imprisoned, turned into soldiers, beaten, starved, enslaved, and allowed to die in their thousands in a world with so much to offer them. And they never, they never understand about laughter and security, possibility, and a chance to grow in a place of peace and plenty. Imagine if it were different and every child got a shot at living living and why do we have to wait for God to do it in some bright future time some peaceful kingdom that he will bring why not now, why not make it happen now because we can We can make a world that's safe from the ravages of war and famine where education is offered to everyone where corruption and violence are not the theme songs that rampage across the lands as powerful and ambitious dictators and governments brutalise their populations. Sure we could say it's too hard, it's too much, it's too difficult. Let's leave it to God to sort it out one fine day. Leave it to him to bring in the impossible dream or we could say that we're not going to let it happen that whatever we can do, we will do whatever we need to say, we will say it however hard we need to pray, we will pray that hard and we will not rest content with some vague hope of a futuristic nirvana that waits around the corner for the walking wounded of our world what a cop out to blame God for the state of the world, and people do it every day. Why is God letting this happen? Why are we letting this happen? They shall build houses and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits, says Isaiah. There was a picture in Time magazine last week or the week before of 92 year old former US President Jimmy Carter hard hat on head, off to do volunteer work with Habitat for Humanity. And he spoke about the difference that particular charity is making. And people of all ages are sharing in the work of providing simple, safe, solid, secure housing across the world. And how brilliant it must be when you have lived in a existed in a miserable hovel for years... To step into your own home offering sanitation and security and shelter. It's happening. And the hard work and the vision and the money and the commitment of people who are not prepared to wait till kingdom come. To make the kingdom come. These are what make it happen out there. People who refuse to believe that they can do nothing. Or people who are simply content to wait for God to come along someday and fix it all for us. They take the view that maybe we should do the fixing. And if that work comes hand in hand with a call for economic justice, that should surprise no one. If the structures of power are set against the poor, then nothing's going to change all that much that soon. So along with concern and a vision, comes a willingness to challenge the citadels of economic power. In which are ensconced the politicians and the power brokers of the nations. And the call to summon them to let their conscience speak. To let the truth be told. To let the wrongs be righted. Our vested interest in sustaining the crazy and unfair status quo should not be allowed to hobble or hogtie our attempts to change the world. We can give our politicians permission to make the alterations to the economic machinery that would offer the possibility of a fair deal. If the the scales of economic justice are forever loaded against the poor, then poverty sure is here to stay. And they'll never get a fair deal for their goods, their raw materials, a fair reward for their skills and their hard work. And we could simply roll with that and let it be as it is, accept that status quo with a shrug of dismissal or indifference. What can we do? What difference can I make? Or, or we could wait for God to shake it all up and make things new and different for forever. Or we could act. We could lobby, we could spend our money on fairly traded goods, we could expand the market for those traders who make sure that their source providers are getting a fair deal. A chance to better their lives and the lives of their children. It's a a great manifesto, Isaiah, thank you for it. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the works of their hands. They shall not labour in vain or bear children for calamity. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. It's really attractive, and we're right to be drawn to it, this challenging vision, to be inspired by it, made angry by the cruelty and injustice, of the way things are and dared not simply to shrug in helpless rage not simply to anticipate some glorious future way beyond the blue horizon the wolf and the lamb shall feed together the lion shall eat straw like the ox they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain says the Lord None of us can forget the emotional and spiritual force of Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech at the Washington Monument and the moral power of that compelling and evocative, inspiring rhetoric. But it's just words unless the Spirit of Christ takes those dreams somewhere further to more than self-indulgent, guilt-ridden, empty aspiration. It takes the powerful, disturbing, nagging, demanding spirit of Christ to make us see that we are not just powerless pawns in the game of international trade. We have a voice that can be heard speaking for the voiceless. We have a vote that can change the minds of governments. We have a purchasing power that can direct our spending in creative ways. And we have hearts that can be stirred and stirred up by the Spirit of Christ when we sit in the stillness of his presence and seek his purpose and open ourselves to his will. That's how change will come. There is the moment when the resolve will turn to steel. That's how things will change. And then, and only then, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.